Welcome to the Paranormal Factor Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Wright. Thanks for stopping by. This is the place to explore mysteries, investigate the otherworldly, and share stories of the inexplicable and the strange. You see, within the realm of our daily, ordinary lives, there is a paranormal factor always waiting to reveal itself. So let's begin exploring together the truly weird. Welcome listeners, and thanks for stopping by. As a reminder, the Paranormal Factor Podcast Facebook page is full of great content posted every weekday, Monday through Friday. So please go out to Facebook and search for the Paranormal Factor Podcast and start enjoying some really cool paranormal content today. Now, on to our episode. On September the 1st, 1969, about 40 people in Berkshire County, Massachusetts, reported seeing a UFO, with four unconnected families being affected by its appearance, and one boy named Thomas Reed claiming he and his family were all taken aboard. Residents of Berkshire County in Massachusetts went into a panic after these multiple people reported seeing the UFO. The uproar over the UFO sighting reached far beyond the area and captivated people all over America. And the seemingly brief UFO encounter was apparently powerful enough to leave a lingering sense of mass confusion in its wake. Schoolchildren were drawing UFOs in class while adults called into the local radio station to explain what they had seen. Although the Berkshire UFO sightings are one of the more renowned UFO-related events in American history, you may not have heard of it before. It didn't carry the lasting notoriety of the Roswell incident, for example, though few UFO cases can match Roswell. Still, it's a fascinating case and one you should hear about. Multiple witnesses gave strikingly similar accounts of strange events that occurred on that evening in September of 1969 in Berkshire County, Massachusetts. Some, like local business owner Jane Green, reported seeing blinding lights while driving along the freeway before seeing strangely silent saucer-shaped ships hovering in the sky. Other locals, like Melanie Kirchdorfer, reported being taken on board an alien craft and seeing other kids in their class before being returned to Earth. Perhaps the most startling account is that of Tom Warner, who claimed to have made telepathic contact with an alien and apparently been taken aboard their spaceship after being trapped in some kind of strange beam. In 2015, the Great Barrington Historical Society recognized the 1969 supernatural encounter as an official historical event, according to Engineering News Record. From our perspective, it's a significantly historic event, Debbie Oberman, the Society's director, said. Basically, because it's an event that was important to many people in South County at that time. Dozens of Berkshire residents, many who were children at the time, are said to have witnessed the UFOs that night in 1969. The sightings were reported on by WSBS Radio in Great Barrington, which received many calls from witnesses who said they saw bright lights and a saucer-like object flying in the sky. We had listeners call the radio station that evening, said David Izzy, general manager of local radio station WSBS. At the time, they didn't know it was a UFO. They just, you know, called the station to say something bizarre was happening. It was a strange event that was not only corroborated by eyewitness testimony, scientific inquiry, 
and the positive results of lie detector tests conducted at the Department of Defense Polygraph Institute, but was also given a classification by Dr. J. Allen Hynek during his Project Blue Book investigations. The case was also one of many presented at the United Nations Symposium in 1992. Now, the objective of the United Nations Symposium was to introduce several well-authenticated cases to motivate the UN to reconsider establishing an official agency or department for undertaking, coordinating, and disseminating the results of research into unidentified flying objects. The case itself remains controversial, with some speculating the whole thing was a hoax, and others doubting that multiple families reporting their experiences but not knowing each other previously could have logically conspired to perpetuate a scam. So, which was it? Hoax? True encounter? Or something in between? Well, to answer that, we need to dig into the facts of the case. On the evening of September the 1st, 1969, strange lights descended on the southern Berkshires. Many who saw those lights said they were affixed to a UFO. The Berkshires is a region of rural highlands in western Massachusetts. It encompasses large swaths of wilderness, making it a popular tourist destination for hikers and nature lovers during the summer. The Berkshires are also made up mostly of small towns, so maybe in the case of curious extraterrestrial beings, it's an ideal spot to visit. An unidentified flying object was spotted by multiple people in Great Barrington, Sheffield, Stockbridge, and Egremont, all part of Berkshire County, known as the Berkshires. Residents inundated a live WSBS radio broadcast with a storm of phone calls reporting an unusual object in the sky. According to witness accounts, the UFO in question was a disc-shaped craft that performed acrobatic maneuvers in the sky above the Berkshires. It's unclear exactly how long the phenomenon lasted, but many witnesses of the alleged UFO encounters described losing track of time. Many people who saw the strange light vessel that night were left bewildered. Nobody seemed to know what they saw, but they knew that they saw, well, something. The incident has since been dubbed the 1969 Berkshire UFO. When numerous residents of Berkshire County reported having seen the UFO, authorities were at a loss for an explanation. This wasn't a lone sighting induced by sleep deficiency that could be easily dismissed. It truly appeared as though something really bizarre had occurred. And the radio station WSBS, specifically host Tom J, fielded calls from citizens sharing their experiences, but no one had the foresight to hold on to those tapes of the night's broadcast for posterity. And curiously, none of the newspapers or police blotters from September the 1st, 1969, carried stories of the UFO sightings or abductions either. This left the burden of proof on the witnesses from that night. Jay overheard the first reports of the sightings on his ham radio. He then contacted the police to inquire as to whether they received the calls about the anomaly. It was later estimated that about 40 people reported seeing the UFO, some of them who were children at the time still live in the area today. The main theory about what happened in the Berkshires on that day is that it was a genuine UFO sighting and alien encounter. The most important and the most directly involved eyewitnesses were all children or teenagers. Those witnesses included Jane Green. She lived in Great Barrington since she was 12 and her family was prominent because they owned the oldest Rexall pharmacy in the Northeast. Tom Warner, 
His family lived in the same house in Great Barrington for six generations. He was the youngest of seven children and was 10 years old in 1969. Tom Reed. He was born in Queens but later moved with his family to Berkshire County. He was nine at the time of the event. Anne Melanie Kirschdorfer. She had lived in Berkshire County since 1957 and she was 12 in 1969. They all had similar experiences from different parts of town. All four claimed they were picked up and moved by a ray of light, with some claiming they saw the inside of a spaceship, while others claimed they passed out. Tom Reed was living in Great Barrington, a quiet town nestled between the Taconic Mountain Range and the Housatonic River in the southwestern corner of Massachusetts. Reed and his family had experiences around their farmhouse property prior to this 1969 incident, but this incident was the most profound and would impact more than his immediate family. Tom Reed said he was abducted from the car he was in with his mother, grandmother, and brother. They recall seeing large insect-like creatures before magically being back in the car, but his mother and grandmother had swapped seats. He was missing three hours of his life before he passed out in his family car while they were driving. His family was missing the same time span. Tom Reed would later take a polygraph test and was found to be 99.1% truthful in his story. Marion Burroughs, Tom's grandmother, described the UFO as a floating strip mall. It was after leaving their family-owned Village on the Green restaurant, driving through the old covered bridge, when Nancy Reed, with her sons Tom and his brother Matthew and Marion, witnessed an ascending object above the left side of their station wagon. The account only gets stranger from there, as the Reed family recalled fragmented memories of vibrating sensations, barometric pressure changes, the presence of non-human entities, dark rooms, bright, long hallways, crying out for each other, and subsequent missing time. The event they experienced, though, didn't start or stop on that Labor Day evening in 1969. Nancy Reed recalled her family had a history with similar UFO phenomena, as far back as 1954. Jane Green recalls driving through the area and seeing a huge flying saucer-like object in the sky. She says a period of time went by where she has no recollection of what happened. Tom Warner was at a friend's house where he was supposedly taken by a beam and then disappeared momentarily. Warner claimed to have made telepathic contact with an alien and apparently was taken aboard a spaceship after being trapped in the strange beam. The fantastic event was witnessed by Debbie Shaw, Tom's babysitter at the time. Nearby, Melanie Kirschdorfer had just gotten ice cream with her family and went to Lake Mansfield where she saw a bright light and started levitating. She recalled coming onto a ship with other children and was being laid out. Disturbingly, Tom Warner said he had seen her in the craft crouching at a corner. They had not known each other before, but felt an immediate connection when they finally met. This 1969 UFO event might not be well known outside of the Berkshires, but in 2015 it was brought back into the public consciousness when the Great Barrington Historical Society decided to include Thomas Reed's account of his family's encounters with aliens in its historical archives. That 6-3 to three decision in favor of recognizing the event as historically significant and true was based on the radio station's reports, Eyewitness accounts of people from Sheffield, Great Barrington, Stockbridge, and Egremont, who are said to have witnessed the object, some of whom gave testimony to the U.S. Air Force. 
But how do these stories play into each other? And how is it possible that people who didn't know each other previously experienced similar events? The accounts get even stranger as we explore deeper into this story. Now, let's hear more about detailed descriptions of what the four young people experienced that September the 1st night in 1969. Jane Green At around dusk, Jane Green was driving with her girlfriend, Mary DeGrassi, from Stockbridge to Great Barrington. While driving down the road, they saw several bright lights ahead of them. At first, Jane thought there had been an accident and that the lights were from police cars. As she got closer, she realized that she could not drive anymore because the lights were so bright. She decided to pull to the side of the road. The car in front of them did the same. Jane and Mary got out of the car to get a better look. They saw a huge object floating over the road in front of them. It was so large that Jane could not see the end of it from the right or the left. She couldn't tell what color it was, but she recalled that it was tall and immense. She didn't see any windows on it and didn't hear any noise coming from it. Within a few seconds, the object lifted up, went to the left, drifted up again, and then went over the mountains. Tommy Warner At around the same time, Tommy Warner was at his neighbor and babysitter Debbie Shaw's house coloring. As it got dark out, he went over and looked out a window. He heard a voice say, You need to go home now. Tommy said it scared the daylights out of me. He turned to his babysitter, Debbie, to tell her he had to leave, believing it was God's voice advising him to do so. Tommy immediately ran out of the house and could feel an energy inside of him, which he claims was the fear of mental telepathy. He said he thought he was flying, but Debbie saw something entirely different. Debbie came outside and watched him run in place for about five minutes. When he realized he was not moving, he knew something was wrong. He then turned to his left and saw a UFO drop out of the sky. A beam from the craft hit him. As the light shone on him, his hands jerked back behind him, and Debbie saw the light around him and then realized that he just disappeared. So Debbie corroborates Tommy's story, describing how the light was on him. Then, in a blink of an eye, he vanished. He said the next thing he remembered is being held on the ground by a similar beam. Tommy remembered being laid down on his back at the other end of the Shaw family property. A beam was still surrounding him. His brother was behind him and yelled for him to run. However, he told his brother that he couldn't run because the beam was holding him down. The voice came back to him and said, I'll be done in a minute. Within a minute, the light beam went off and he was able to get up. He turned around and watched the light disappear. Debbie later claimed the event was seven minutes long. Melanie Kirstorfer. On the same night, Melanie Kirstorfer, who was 14 at the time, and her family went to the local Dairy Queen to get some ice cream. They then went to Lake Mansfield, which was about two miles from Debbie Shaw's home. As her father backed into the parking lot, a brilliant bright aura came around their car. Everyone in the car began to panic. Her father decided to chase the light, despite Melanie begging him not to. She and her sister began to shake in fear. Her sister did not remember anything after that. However, Melanie remembered levitating and then being on a ship. She then remembered being laid out while in it. She said, I was in a room with just young people. They were like children, and they would disappear one by one. After that, she woke up at the lake by herself, and she had to walk home. 
Tommy Warner claims he remembers seeing Melanie on the craft. Tommy remembered seeing Melanie to the right of him on the ship. He recalled seeing total fear on her face. However, she did not remember seeing him. Despite not knowing Tommy, Melanie says she felt an immediate connection with him when she first met him, as if they were siblings. Thomas Reed Earlier that afternoon, Tom Reed was riding in a horse show. After being almost injured in a riding accident, his mother Nancy decided that they were done for the day. They went to close their diner, the Village Green. They left the restaurant at around 8.30 p.m. and decided to take the shortcut home through the Sheffield Bridge. The location is six miles south of Great Barrington. In the car with Nancy Reed and Tom were her mother Marion and his younger brother Matthew. His mother Nancy was driving and his grandmother was in the passenger seat. Next to him was his brother Matthew. The pair had been sharing candy. I was giving my brother a little fireball candy at the time, Reed said. Then they noticed something strange. There was light coming through the bottom boards of the bridge, he recalled. When his grandmother, Marion, turned around to speak to the children, Nancy noticed a bright light rising from the banks of the Housatonic River. As they exited the bridge, they all saw a light spear hovering about two stories high. As it rose, Tom saw it fire rods of light. Matthew looked to the right and saw a second orange spear. As they slowly drove along, they noticed that everything became quiet. They felt a pressure change as if they were underwater. The white sphere disappeared. Then Nancy noticed a disc-shaped object hovering in the sky. It looked similar to a turtle shell. Tom said that it looked about 100 yards long. Suddenly the inside of the car lit up. It appeared as if it was daylight inside the vehicle even though it was dark outside. It came to a stop off the side of the road. Everything got really calm. It was like being in the middle of a hurricane. There was like a barometric change in pressure, Tom stated. This was the last thing that they remembered from the car. Three hours later, the Reeds found themselves back in the car. It was just like a dead silence. Then there was this eruption of crickets and frogs, and it got really loud, and that was it. Then we remembered bits and pieces of being in like a hangar, and other people were there. It was really quite confusing, Tom said. To them, it had felt as if only 15 minutes had passed from the beginning of their experience. They all had fragmented memory of the lost time. The car was now off, and stunningly, Nancy and her mother Marion were now in opposite seats. Marion started the car, and they went back to Sheffield for help. Jane Green said that she was a non-believer of UFOs and flying saucers until that night. She recalled after seeing the craft, she drove into Great Barrington and pulled over in front of the family store on Main Street. She and Mary were in disbelief as to what had happened. She went inside the store and told her husband about their experience. He told her to report it to the radio station, so she went there and met with Tom Jay, the director of WSBS Radio. However, he really didn't believe her. A few hours later, however, he became inundated with calls from other people with similar sightings. Tom Jay began hearing the calls coming in even over his ham radio. He heard so many calls he actually called the police department to see if they were hearing about it as well. He then got on the air and asked for listeners to call him and report where they had seen the UFOs. He received reports in Pittsfield, Stockbridge, Lenox, Egremont, and Sheffield, Massachusetts. 
He also received reports from nearby Canaan, Connecticut. The calls were coming in from groups of people that, in many cases, had never met each other before. Sheffield resident Eddie Golada recalled that shortly after the sightings, people told his father, the chief of police, about the flying objects they had seen. The witnesses said the objects were landing and taking off in fields near Sheffield. His father did not believe the sightings were genuine. Tom Reed, the most vocal witness of the sighting, says he remembers more than he would like to. We encountered something, Reed said. It was definitely not of this world. We had a black and white television at the time, and the imagery that we saw on this thing was unbelievable. There were lights that looked like fluorescent tubing inside this hangar. And this hangar thing we were in was huge. It was larger than a football field. This hallway we had seen was circular with a Y configuration almost to control the flow of traffic. And this one room had a bowed-in wall that was rounded. I'm telling you, this was not something that we would have seen in 1969 anywhere else. I, I have no idea where I was, but I know that what I saw was very different than anything I've even seen today, 50 years later, he explained. Another eyewitness account of that night came from Kevin Titus. Titus was playing with a friend that evening in Great Barrington when they decided to track down two of the farm's missing cows. They stumbled upon a dead cow in their search with Titus describing it as ripped apart, but without any blood at the scene. The two boys were then bathed in bright lights and saw a tortoise-shell-shaped craft hovering without noise. Titus and his friend alerted their parents, who also saw the lights and UFO over their farm. They immediately called WSBS and the police. To make things even more interesting, the Reed brothers, Tom and Matt, have also said they've had more encounters with aliens, in fact, four. They never used the word abductions, deeming it to be too negative in connotation. Tom said the 1969 encounter was actually the third time that he and his brother had encountered spacecraft. The first, as he described it, involved seeing a craft they said looked like a turtle shell on the ground in 1966. He said the pair saw the same craft again the following year in 1969. The fourth sighting was in 2009 when Matt was in Indiana. A replica of the craft the Reeds saw in Sheffield is on display at the UFO Museum in Roswell, New Mexico, if you ever visit. Yet, there's always another side of the story, isn't there? In this case, there are concerns and inconsistencies that we need to acknowledge before concluding whether it is fact or fiction, or perhaps something in between. So, what do the skeptics say about this case? Skeptoid podcaster Brian Dunning notes, A lack of any physical evidence is the rule, not the exception for UFO stories, but the Berkshire County UFO takes this absence of evidence a step further. Generally, whenever there's a mass UFO sighting, the local press, at the very least, runs a few columns about it, and the local police blotter will show a few panicked phone calls. Dunning observed that one of the most intriguing aspects of the Berkshire County UFO story was highlighted by the Netflix July 1st, 2020 episode of Unsolved Mysteries about the incident. The show's researchers asked the local police to look up their blotter for that day, and they found no mention of anything unusual at all. Just a single call about beer cans found on someone's lawn. Dunning continues, A local historian went to the archives of the Berkshire Eagle, the county's newspaper, and searched the news for the next morning plus a full month afterwards. 
he found not a single printed word about any UFO story. Now, this extraordinary thing happened, supposedly, and not a single police officer or news reporter caught the faintest whiff. To the skeptical mind, the story of the Berkshire County UFO has just too many red flags to be taken very seriously. First, there are exactly zero contemporary reports of anything happening, which tells us that the story did not really exist until later years, Dunning says. Second, it's promoted by one person with no corroborating evidence. And third, it has attracted zero scientific or academic attention, gardening only mentions in fringe literature and TV shows, Dunning states. He further says, It is absolutely possible that my theory is 100% wrong, and Tom Reed's version is right, that these few different people had various experiences all on the same night, September the 1st, 1969, and despite their inconsistencies, all were caused by the same alien presence, though nobody felt compelled to report it. And it's a pure coincidence that the principal family involved happened to have had a lifetime of reporting substantially identical alien visitations. Though Tom Reed states the story has hurt his family and he hasn't made money, he has, paradoxically, done his best to keep the story alive, appearing over the years on Good Morning Canada, Inner Space, Paranormal Paparazzi, Uncovering Aliens, Fuse TV, Unsolved Mysteries, and New England Legends. Of course, aliens actually existing has never been proven. UFOs and alien encounters consistently fall short of actual evidence. So it's no surprise that a lot of people think the Berkshire's UFO was a massive hoax. Some people think the stories may have been made up for fame to sell stories or to just cause some general chaos in the local area. And it would not be the first time people have made up these kinds of stories. There are full studies into why people make up encounters with aliens. And proof remains elusive for many, including Ted Ackworth, a scientist from Stanford who was tapped to be the science expert on the History Channel show UFO Hunters. Ackworth looked at some of the more famous cases around the world, and he said he was never able to find what he would consider physical evidence of alien encounters. Well, I'm convinced that there are things happening that are unexplainable, but is that proof of a UFO, said Ackworth. A lot of highly credible people believe in their bones that they saw something. It's not just fringe wackos. But the nearest habitable planet is many, many light years away, and I don't think they'd come here just to scare people and fly home again. They would make themselves known. Many people believe the stories, but many others, well, they don't. Here are the main theories of what happened in the case of the Berkshire's UFO. The story was made up by the town. The knee-jerk reaction of most UFO deniers is to assume townspeople fabricated the story, and there are some reasons to buy into that theory. For one, the original radio recordings of all the accounts were taped over, and no newspapers covered the story back in 1969, so there really isn't any source material available. Additionally, while all the accounts are uncannily similar, they do have some noticeable differences in how the abductions happened and how long they last. The main rebuttal to this theory, however, is the townspeople seemingly have no motivation to make up this story, and the level of conspiracy it would have taken over the years to maintain it is extreme. Next, the townspeople were misremembering what happened. 
The townspeople may not be knowingly lying about the abduction stories, but may still not be conveying the truth. That's at the core of another theory, which speculates the UFO stories became so prevalent in the town that they blurred and influenced people's memories over the ensuing 50 years. With no concrete coverage from 1969 and half a century passing, there is a chance the story just became so big that it created false memories. Next, it was actually a secret government experiment. Okay, so this theory is nearly as incredible as the UFO actually appearing, but not entirely out of the realm of possibility. We do know through released government documents that the U.S. Air Force engaged in clandestine operations to discredit some UFO witnesses in the 1950s and 60s. Some suggest the townspeople were actually subjects of secret government experiments that convinced them of alien abductions. Next, interviewers fed the stories to the townspeople. Another possibility is UFO researchers who were desperate to confirm the existence of aliens may have fed information to the townspeople to alter their stories and make the sightings sound more legitimate. Research bias can seep into any investigation in numerous ways, including what is known as the Hawthorne effect, which is when subjects alter their behavior to try to please the researcher. If an ardent UFO researcher was involved in the first telling of the Berkshire stories, there is a chance they could have knowingly or unknowingly helped plant false memories. And lastly, it actually happened. It can be difficult for many people to buy into UFO stories, but the Berkshire's recollections make up what is arguably one of the more convincing cases for UFOs actually existing. While skeptics will undoubtedly stick to any of the above theories to try to refute the eyewitness claims, we must contend with this possibility that these people are telling the truth and a UFO really did appear in 1969. In the end, there haven't really been any other credible explanations for what happened, if anything, on that night in 1969. Yet the fact is there is little official record of what happened that night. Despite the large number of people in Berkshire County who have given oral accounts of their experiences over the past five decades, Berkshire historian Gary Laville looked into the case but could not find any reports of any UFO sightings in the local newspaper for the month of September 1969. He believes that it was not reported because people thought that it was just a joke. In fact, he talked to a local editor who said that he had heard about the sightings but thought they were fake, so he didn't put anything about them in the paper. Tom Warner recalled discussing his experience with his friends. However, after a while, he decided to stop telling people about it because everyone thought he was crazy. People often avoided him in high school because of what happened. Tom stated he feels better now that more people are coming forward with their experiences. Melanie recalled that her sister always believed her. She also told her boyfriend at the time about it, and he always believed her as well. At the time, they were the only ones that knew about it. Melanie noted that she had no reason to make up her story because it was not a fun or positive experience. When Tom Reed went to school, he'd talk about his experience often. However, this led to fights with other students. Nancy Reed remembered people would harass her, even tailgating her as she drove home. Overall, the experience was so very hard on her that eventually she decided to sell the diner and the house and move away. 
and Jane Green was relieved to learn that others had seen the UFOs because she was certain that no one would believe her. She feels recent stories about U.S. Navy pilots seeing UFOs has led her and others to feel more comfortable about telling their stories. Given that all the independent witnesses experienced similar things, it would be a highly elaborate lie. And it should be mentioned, the Berkshire County area has an extensively documented history of UFO sightings beyond the night of September the 1st, 1969. And also lost in reporting were some noteworthy details, such as who the Reed family really are, a family of professionals, lawyers, business owners, and politicians. Grandmother Marion Burroughs was the governess to the grandchildren of President Franklin Roosevelt. Nancy was a horse breeder, and she was also the voice of WKZE FM radio. And a proclamation was issued to Nancy's late husband, Howard Reed, by the mayor of Bridgeport, Connecticut, for his distinguished contributions in education. Tom Reed? Well, he grew up and went on to found a modeling agency in South Beach, Florida, that flourished in the 1990s, providing extras for films like Too Fast, Too Furious and Miami Vice. In fact, it was his unique experiences as a child that got him interested in photography in the first place. Well, I told myself that if I ever saw something like that again, I'd get it on camera, he explained. So I carried one around with me everywhere I went. Reed's story has remained consistent for over 50 years. Whether or not you believe the witness stories, the Berkshire UFO in 1969 was no doubt a remarkable event for the townspeople of Sheffield who experienced it. Are the claims that beams of light lifted individuals into a spaceship filled with other abducted children and then transported them again by beams of light true? Well, you'll have to make up your own mind on that. Reed says he's not trying to convert non-believers. Their scorn has been a part of his life. All he can do, he says, is follow what his mother always told him. Speak the truth. In our next episode of the Paranormal Factor podcast, we investigate voodoo and Marie Laveau. We'll investigate the claims of magic, spells, and curses of history and those with experiences involving voodoo. And we'll look into the original queen of New Orleans voodoo, Marie Laveau. Did she really possess voodoo powers? Or is there a more reasonable explanation? Join us as we visit Voodoo Origins in Haiti and walk the streets of New Orleans with Marie Laveau next time on the Paranormal Factor Podcast. And now it's time for the episode quiz. Well, it is time and I'm not going to delay. Here is your quiz for this episode. The Whaley House in San Diego is known as what? Is it A, the first in-home seance site? B, the largest library on cryptozoology, C, the most haunted house in America, D, the first paranormal museum west of the Mississippi. Once again, the Whaley House in San Diego is known as what? A, the first in-home seance site, B, the largest library on cryptozoology, C, the most haunted house in America, or D, the first paranormal museum west of the Mississippi? And the answer is... C, the most haunted house in America. In 2005, Life magazine called the Whaley House 
the most haunted house in America. The house is so thoroughly spooky that, according to Time magazine in the 1960s, the U.S. Commerce Department classified the Whaley House as haunted. When most folks think of San Diego, they picture gorgeous beaches, beautiful weather, and cultural and artistic attractions. But for those who have an affinity for the paranormal, San Diego beckons investigation with its rich and dark past, haunted spots, spiritual encounters, and inexplicable events. And the most haunted of all San Diego places is without a doubt the Whaley House. Today the residence serves as a museum that's open to the public. There, people can get a first-hand look at the house that was meant to be the Whaley's forever home. Instead, it turned out to be forever haunted by the Whaley's. The Whaley family appears to still be residents in the house. Thomas, Anna, Thomas Jr., Violet, Anna Amelia, Corinne, and even the family cat and dog. Oh, and a 19th century thief who was hung on the property, Yankee Jim and other spirits are suspected to also roam the house. For more on the most haunted house in America, the Whaley House, check out Season 2, Episode 13 of the Paranormal Factor Podcast. Well, that'll do it for this episode. A theme song is Knockers by Cinco, courtesy of Upbeat Music. Hey, before you leave, if you could, please do me just two favors. First of all, if you did enjoy the show, please leave a like on your favorite listening application. And secondly, if you liked what you heard, please spread the word. Love to have some new listeners out there to join you. I'm your host, Richard Wright. Keep your eyes open for the unusual folks, and thanks for stopping by.